Good morning. And what, what a reality is that we just sung, that when we, when, we, when we behold the Lamb, when we see Jesus, when we really, truly see Him, how can we not respond with worship? How can we not respond with praise? And that's really what we're going to see in the text today, that when we look to Jesus, that our lives should respond with worship. And worship means a lot of different things. Um, but we're excited to see what God's doing as we continue our series in Hebrews chapter 11. If you want to get a head start there, we're going to be there this morning. My name is Dan Hammer. I have the privilege of being the pastor here. And if this is your first time here, you've been here many times, your family here. And we're just glad you're here, whether you're here in, in person or online. Um, we are so excited to celebrate the reality of our risen King. Amen. And, um, and while... Oh, while we celebrate, this is a holiday weekend, and we get ready to celebrate our country's independence on Tuesday. Praise God that we get to celebrate our independence from sin through our dependence on Jesus Christ each and every day. And what a victory we have in Jesus. And, and praise God for how he's building his church here at Harvest. And he just continues to do it over and over and over again as Jesus builds his church. And as we get going here, we want to share a couple of the exciting ways through a brief family chat that God is building his church here. And man, wasn't it awesome last week to see three powerful baptisms? Amen. And it's not just about people coming in and out of water and getting wet and having a good time, but it's about the stories that they represent that changed lives and how Jesus changes everything. Praise God. And, um, and he's continuing to do that here today. And so one of the things that the way that Jesus is building his church here at Harvest is he's building it through healthy leadership. I'm super thankful for the privilege we have to, as, as a plurality of elder-led church to serve with godly men together um, as we lead the church here. And one of the things that we have as a part of our constitution is that after two consecutive three-year terms as an elder, there's a year-long sabbatical, right? It's a biblical thing. Sabbaticals are biblical to take a year of rest, recovery. And so Ted Dressel, who has served two consecutive three-year terms as an elder here at Harvest, as of yesterday, began a year-long sabbatical from serving as an active elder. So he is still elder qualified and he's still probably consult on some things and he's actively serving. He's even in kids ministry right now because if you know Ted, that's who he is. Um, and praise God for that. Amen. And so when you see Ted, just say, say thank you. Um, the stuff he does behind the scenes um, in big ways and small ways are so significant. And I'm just super thankful for Ted. If you don't know who Ted is, that's Ted um, on the screen behind us. Some of us are newer and Ted is all over the place serving and you might not always get to see him face to face. So we just thankful for that. So our current active elder board over the next year and our hope and our plan is to bring Ted back on. Lord willing, uh, in a year from now, after a year of rest is myself, Pastor Andrew and Don Webster. And what's really cool right now is actually Ted Dressel, Pastor Andrew and Don Webster, you know where they are right now? All three of them are serving in Harvest Kids. Like, that's awesome. Praise God, amen. Like, we really believe strongly in the discipleship of all ages here, starting with our, our youngest to our oldest. And as shepherd leaders, what a privilege we have to do that. And if you have an interest in serving in Harvest Kids, we would love to talk with you as well. Um, and so what an opportunity that there is to serve in, in that way. Along the, the way with healthy leadership, one of the things that we're going to do is I was processing and praying with our elder team. And um, as for the next four weeks, this, uh, I'm actually going to take a four-week break from preaching here at Harvest. And so... Um, um, uh, just to, as an opportunity to rest and spend some intentional time with our family. We're going on vacation this week, and, but also to prepare for the Dominican Republic mission trip. I'm going to preach a couple times down there and lead a, lead a pastor training for about 50 or so pastors and elders there um, and visit our church plant. Praise God that, that God is working. So to prepare for that, recover from that, and also to prepare for the fall, um, we are going to go into a, the book of John. So we're going to go begin the gospel of John. We're going to uh, venture 48 to 50 sermons over a year and a half. And so we are excited that sermon series is going to be called Come and see, and we, uh, we are excited to grow deeper in God together. Amen? So Jesus invites us on a journey. He literally invites his disciples, and their response is, come and see the one who changes everything. So it's both a come and see and invitation to deeper discipleship, but also broader mission, because as John 4, the woman at the well, she goes back to the town and says, come and see the one who told me all my sin. Come and see the one who changed everything. So it's, it's both for us to grow deeper in discipleship, but also in mission. And so praise God for that. Be praying, if you don't mind, for the heart of preparation for myself and the elders. God is stirring some really things in my heart that he would bring clarity. And I'm excited about where we are, and I'm really excited about where we're going. God is doing great work here. Amen. And so over the next four weeks, I'm, I'm really excited about this. We're going to pause our, our Step Out series, and Pastor Andrew's going to jump in for a four-week series on the, on the gospel, of, not gospel, on the book of 
of Jonah. Um, the Gospel of John, the book of Jonah, okay, in the Old Testament. And so it's the story of God's grace, amen. And so I want to really excited to go through this, this story uh, over the next four weeks. And Pastor Andrew is going to lead our church faithfully through that. Praise God for, them, for how he does that so faithfully. And so get excited about that. Be praying for that and make sure you tune in for that. Um, and then just a, an encouragement and just a mission. God's work requires God's resources. Throughout the summer, people come and go, but obviously ministry happens. God is building his church. And so I just want to encourage you and challenge you to continue to give faithfully if you don't uh, financially, if this is your church home. Um, and God has been faithful throughout the years. And, and coming into this month, we were right at budget. But last month, we were about five or six grand under budget. And this month, uh, June, we just closed out. That was May. June, we were under as well, several, a couple thousand dollars. So we're now probably behind for the year, but no big deal. We serve a big God. Amen. And so I just want to ch- continue to challenge and encourage all of us to give and give faithfully, even in every season and situation, so that the work of the Lord can continue in a big way. And so praise God for how he's moving in our midst. And what now, what I want you to do is I want you to take out a pen if you have it, or if you have your phone, I want you to write down something or in your brain, whatever it is. I want you to write down the answer to this question. What, this is what I, uh, this is what I am treasuring the most. So my, actually, let's say it this way. My greatest treasure is, and then fill in that blank. No judgment. But whatever it is that first thing comes to your mind, my greatest treasure right now is, it could be a person, it could be a thing, it could be a dollar amount, it could be a house, it could be a location, it could be a family member, it could be family in general, it could be whatever it is. But what is this thing right now, honestly, truth serum, no judgment, that you value most in the world? And we're going to come back to that in a little bit. So just write that down, pause there, and come back to that. Anna and I, my wife and I, have been married now a little bit over 19 years, prayed by God's grace, literally. Um, and I've learned so much about my beautiful wife over those 19 years. And I wanted to share a couple of those things with you. The first thing that I learned since I've gotten married is this, is that my wife is a phenomenal elementary school teacher. I knew she was good. I didn't know she was this good. And uh, she is incredible giftedness to reach young people with the gospel and in everyday life and teaching every, any subject you can. She's one of the most gifted communicators to young people that I ever know. And we've got a lot of them and been around them. So I'm super thankful for that. Second thing is she has a huge heart um, for un- the underprivileged and unresourced uh, people that society has sort of rejected or turned away from or not paid attention to and loves and loves with a passion. And that inspires me and that, that convicts me personally. And I love her for that. Praise God. Third, fun little anecdote. She loves to read. She's a voracious reader. But she has this little habit that she has that when she's reading a novel, if you wouldn't, a couple, one or two chapters in after she learns some of the main characters, she flips to the back, reads the last chapter, reads the ending of the book, and then reads the rest of the book. And I'm like, who in the world would do that? Anybody else do that? <laughs> I, I asked Anne, why do you do this? And she goes, well, I want to know if everything's going to turn out to be okay for the main characters, because then that can relax and enjoy the journey. If I know at the end, it's going to be okay. The ups and the downs, the story arcs all around, the the trials, the tribulations, the successes and the failures, I can read it with peace if I know at the end it's going to be okay, right? That is how God intends us to live life and to read our Bibles in the very same way. Because God is the greatest author of all time. Shakespeare, J.K. Rowling, like they can't hold a candle to God, amen? And God wrote a book. It's called the Bible. And the beautiful thing now is that we know how the story ends, right? We know the reality that in the end, Jesus wins. In the end, God triumphs. And so within each and every chapter that we read in the book of God's word or that we live on our daily lives, that should fill our hearts with peace, because we know how the story will end for us if we are in the Lord. That is what we're going to see in the life of Moses today. We're going to see a man who had lived with the end in mind, even though he didn't know the details. He lived far from perfect. We're going to see an epic failure from Moses today, but we're going to see God's redeeming grace. 
And I pray that wherever you are in your journey today, that you would learn to live life with the end in mind, looking to Jesus as greater, looking to God as bigger, looking to Christ as the ultimate reward, because that fuels our faith to step out for God each and every day, to lay down the things of this world, to pick up the eternal things, and to live out the life that God has for us. Here's a big idea. You'll see it on the screen is this, and in your notes, that treasuring Christ above all emboldens and empowers me to live faithfully for Christ in all. Treasuring Christ, putting the proper value on who Jesus is, seeing Jesus as greater, fuels me, it empowers me, it emboldens me to live faithfully in every season and in every situation. And I, as I look around the room, as I, as I look at who's on the screen, I know that the reality is some of us are in really low moments of our lives right now. Some of us are experiencing great victories. And everywhere in between, this reality applies to us. We're going to see Moses walk through a very difficult but defining season today. We're going to see Moses have to make a choice that costs him literally everything on earth that for four decades has been built up, that in a moment he chose by faith to walk away from because he valued and viewed Jesus as greater and God as bigger. And I pray that whatever you're facing today, that the peace of God, that we know how the story ends, we know the gospel, we know that Jesus wins, we know that we will be with Jesus one day, will give us a peace and the confidence to live with faith in the same way that we're going to see from Moses. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I just thank you for the beauty of your word. I thank you for your greatness. And Jesus, I thank you for your bigness. I thank you that you're bigger than our biggest problem, that you're greater than our deepest fear, that you have won, that you have conquered the grave. And God, that we can trust in you, that we can rely on you. And I pray today that for my friends and myself, that we would choose to look to you, that we would choose to see the great value of the reward that you are, and that we would base our life choices off of that value system that you are worth far more than anything on this earth. And Jesus, I just pray that you would do that work in my heart and that you would do the work of every single person in this room online or who is listening later. And God, help us to make, make us more like you. And Holy Spirit, silence me and may your words flow today. Glorify yourself, God. And Jesus, we love you. In your name we pray. Amen. Turn with me, if you would, to Hebrews chapter 11. And if you don't have a copy of God's Word, we got some in the back for you. We'd love for you to have a copy of God's Word. If you don't have one of your own, that would be a delight and a joy for us. Hebrews is about two-thirds of the way through your Bible, halfway through, give or take, through your New Testament. And we're going to be in verses, starting in verse 24 today. Hebrews 11, 24 through 27. This is the Word of the Lord. By faith, Moses when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Remember, the author of Hebrews is taking, uh, is taking us on a journey through this entire chapter 11 to see the, the, the people of God being built into a nation, a people of, for God's glorious possession, and ultimately leading to the formation in the New Testament of Jesus' church through Jesus Christ. He's showing us, one, his faithfulness in the midst of our unfaithfulness, and two, he's, he's giving us the human, fallible examples of how to live faith, even when it's messy, even when we mess up. And I don't know about you, but I'm very encouraged by the reality, the fallibility of each of these characters that we see in this text, because it just reveals all the more the greatness and the goodness of God, his grace, which is ever flowing. And one of the things that we will see over and over and over, and don't miss this, that yes, Moses endures, yes, he makes choices, but it's not just Moses getting stronger by himself, pushing harder that gives him the strength to endure. No, 
the endurance, the courage is a byproduct of the faith and God's grace. Moses does because God has done, and may we do the same. When we left last Moses last week, he was a baby being pulled out of the Nile by the Pharaoh's daughter. And in God's divine providence, he saved Moses' life. He was raising up a deliverer. This week, it's literally fast forward 40 years. So when we look at verse 24, and it says, by faith, Moses, when he was grown up, we know that he is 40 years old at this point. We know that because when we read Acts chapter 7, we see Stephen's account of it, and it says that Moses was 40. We'll look at that passage in a little bit. And he had a decision to make. We see the word in 25, we see the word choice. He was choosing. In verse 24, he refused. These are choices of Moses' volition out of a heart posture of worship. So to understand what's going on here, let's read a little bit more of the context from Exodus chapter 2. You'll see it on the screen, or you can turn there with me if you want. But in Exodus 2, 11 through 15, this, this helps understand what is happening here with a little bit more context. One day when Moses had grown up, again, he's 40 years old, four decades later, after living in Egypt for 40 years in the palace, he went out to his people and he looked on their burdens and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and he hit him in the sand. When he went out to the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling. And he said to the man in the wrong, why do you strike your companion? And the man answered, who made you prince and a judge over us? Do you mean to kill us as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and he thought, surely the thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and he stayed in the land of Midian and he sat down at a well. The land of Midian is most likely in the Arabian desert. He left a palace for the desert, and in and through it all, he saw God's grace and providence. Moses was like all of us, and he came to a crossroads where he had to make a choice. For so long, he had been living this duality of a lifestyle. He was a, a, an, an Israelite by birth, living and being raised in the Egyptian palace. So he was probably, he, he was stuck like a man without a country, literally, a man without a people, and maybe you feel that way. He was probably too Israelite for the Egyptians, right? He's like, they're like, you don't belong here. You're like, you can be raised and you can be adopted all you want, but you're not really one of us. And he was clearly, from what we see in the, in the text in, in Exodus 2, he was way too Egyptian for the Israelites. They're like, who are you? We're the ones doing backbreaking labor, slave labor, while you're getting pampered in the palace. How dare you think that you are one of us? So imagine being Moses, playing spiritual hokey pokey, one foot in the world of Egypt, one foot knowing that his spiritual heritage was as an Israelite, as a man of the, of the child of the one true God, being accepted by no one, rejected by everyone, and then what do you do? And maybe you feel that way as well, feeling like you don't really have a family that you can cling to. But we see Moses making a choice, a treasure choice, because he had to make it in this moment. Who do I really value more? Am I going to be an Israelite or an Egyptian? A child of Pharaoh or a child of God? He chose rightly, even though he acted wrongly. You know, you can do that, right? You can make the wrong choice. You can make the right choice, but have a wrong action doing that. Because in this defining moment, he declared his allegiance to the one true God. He came to the defense of, a, of an Israelite that was being bit, beaten and abused and wronged. And what he did was wrong. And Moses knew what he was wrong. He killed the Egyptian, the abuser. And he knew it was wrong because he looked this way and that way. If you have to look and see if no one's around, guess what? You're probably doing the wrong thing. And then he killed the guy and he tried to cover it up, buried him literally in the sand, thinking he got away with it. And, but he didn't really. Is that you right now? Maybe you've been living a life. You've been a duality. I'm one person at church, but I'm another person in the work world. I'm one person at, in my small group, but I'm another person in the neighborhood or at the gym. And you're doing the spiritual hokey pokey, one foot in, and you shake it all about, you do the hokey pokey, but then you pull it all about, right? But today, may today be your decision day where you choose who your true identity is and who you, who you really identify with. Because Moses, in this moment, chose that God was greater. He chose that Christ was bigger. He did it in the wrong way, but he made the right choice. And in and through it all, we see God's grace. 
We see God not, murder is wrong, right? It's sinful. But we see God's covering over Moses even in and through it all. So when Christ is my greater reward, there are two blessings that come from treasuring Christ overall. We see Moses treasure Christ. The text in Hebrews literally teaches us that. I pray that you would treasure Christ today. What does it mean to treasure Christ? It means you give Christ and God, God the Father, God the Son, a greater value than anything else in your life, right? And that by definition is also worship. Worship is ascribing worth. So to treasure Christ means that you are esteeming, looking to, loving, investing in Jesus overall. Jesus is at the center of the hub of your life. Every other spoke, your family, your finances, your friends, your work, your school, is off the hub of Jesus at the center. So what's the first blessing that comes from when I treasure Christ overall? Because at the end of the day, that's the question God's asking you today, is who do you treasure most? Like we see it definitively in the Hebrews text. Moses lived by faith because he, one, considered the reproach of Christ greater, and two, he was looking to the reward. The first blessing that comes when I, when Christ is my greatest reward, and this is a heart level thing, and I want to really challenge you not just to go, oh, I view Christ as my greatest reward, and I, like I put it on a coffee mug, <laughs> put it on your social media. This is a heart level question, and only God knows the real answer for your heart. You can fool me, you can't fool God. The first blessing that comes when I treasure Christ overall is, is, is I am emboldened to identify wholeheartedly with Christ. I am emboldened to identify wholeheartedly with Christ. We love treasure, don't we? Our society does. I mean, there's, we've got an 80-year-old guy making movies about an adventurer called Indiana Jones trying to go find some lost treasure, and people are paying millions to go see it, right? <laughs> we love treasure. I, I just want you to know that the greatest treasure you could ever find is Jesus Christ. And it's not hard to find. He's right here waiting for you to get experience him. The hope, the joy, the peace, the grace that you're looking for is all found in Jesus but how, do I, how am I emboldened wholeheartedly to identify with Christ? It's when I view Christ as my greatest treasure. So Moses had grown up, it's 40 years past and, and, and from when he was growing, and man, for 40 years he had lived in great opulence. The greatest education, the best foods, pampered, power, prestige. By the world's standards, guess what? He had it all, and yet he was miserable. Maybe that's you this morning. You have all the treasure the world could offer or you're pursuing it. You have the CEO title or you have the the military career advance or you have a bonus check in your bank account. You got the 4.0 GPA. You got the girl. You got the kids. You got the house. You got the picket fence. You got the American dream, but you're miserable because that's not what you were made for. It's not what you were meant to treasure. It's not what can fulfill the ultimate hole in your heart, which yearns for eternity, as Solomon writes in Ecclesiastes. Moses had everything. He lived as an Egyptian culturally, but in his heart, he knew he was an Israelite spiritually. For 40 years, he wrestled, and then he made a choice. What's revealed is that Moses made the right choice, but he did it in the wrong way. He felt the call to leadership of his people. He felt like the call of, I need to be the one to break my people out of slavery. I need to do something. I, need, I can't live with the guilt anymore. I need to do it. And I think Stephen's account is really super helpful in Acts chapter 7, verses 23 through 25, of what is going on in Moses' mind and heart at this moment. Stephen writes this, as Stephen is accounting, recounting the story When he, Moses, was 40 years old, this is Acts 7, 23 to 25, it came into his heart to visit his brother. So this is a heartfelt emotion and action. The children of Israel. And seeing one of them being wronged, he defended the oppressed man and he avenged him by striking down the Egyptian. Now check this out, verse 25. In the inside of Moses is thinking in his heart, he supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by whose hand? His. But they did not understand. Moses is like, I think I'm supposed to be the deliverer. I'm going to take matters into my own hands because I am supposed to be the what? Savior. Friends, you and I can save no one. Moses had a savior complex. 
and it got him nowhere fast. He was right that God was preparing him to deliver his people. He was wrong in the timeline, and he was wrong to assume that in this moment, he was supposed to deliver God's people in this way. He took matters that he got into his own hands. How many of us are doing that right now? In an effort, we're trying to solve our wife or husband's problems by ourselves. Our kids' problems by ourselves. Work hard. Our financial struggle. Work harder. Do more. Be better. And you're just exhausted. Because <laughs> you can't. You need to put away your cape because there's only one superhero, Savior, and his name is Jesus. It's not Dan. It's not Angie. It's not Bruce. It's Jesus. We are not called to be Jesus. We are called to point people to Jesus. We are called to be like Jesus. But there's only one Savior. And a lot of things go wrong when we try to replace Jesus as opposed to point people to Jesus and rely on Jesus. And a lot of humble journeys begin to divert into pride when we begin to see ourselves as, as the Savior. Is that you in your life? Moses had the right idea, again, that he was to be used by God to deliver the Israelites. He just didn't realize he wasn't ready yet, and the people weren't ready yet. He needed some seasoning. And God, in his grace, was going to allow him to go, well, more on this in a second, through a season of seasoning, sharpening, refining, to then be prepared to do the ultimate work that God had for him, just not in the way that Moses or anybody else would ever understand. See, there's this misnomer out there that growing spiritually means I don't need Jesus as much, right? I'm more mature, therefore, God, I, I got it. I have intellectually all the Bible information I'll ever need. I am more moralistic. I can do more good stuff. And all of a sudden, we are edging Jesus out of our life. That is wrong and sinful. The opposite is true. The greater we grow in spiritual maturity, the more we grow in dependence on Jesus and the reality of our need for Jesus. And the gospel becomes greater and bigger in our life than smaller and smaller. And I don't know where you are in that spectrum, but spiritual maturity is not, is not needing to depend on God less. In fact, spiritual maturity is choosing to depend on God more and more and more and seeing God is bigger and Jesus is greater and going, I must decrease and Jesus must increase. That's what John the Baptist said, John 3.30. That leads to my understanding of the treasure that Jesus is. I think it's really intriguing though, when you look at the Bible, how graciously the author and generously the author of Hebrews describes Moses. Because if you read his actions in Exodus 2, if you read Stephen's account of it, it doesn't seem very faithful. Exodus tells that he acted in fear. Hebrews says he acted in faith. Isn't that interesting? God's grace is sufficient, amen? That there was some level of faith in Moses' heart to leave Egypt, even though he was afraid of Pharaoh. Even though he went from being the adopted son of Pharaoh to being the most wanted man in all of Egypt, we just see God's grace. Jesus made, Joseph, Joseph, Moses made a choice of sonship. He chose to be a son of the one true God as opposed to the son of Pharaoh. He laid down the rights that he had of an earthly kingdom, and they were a lot to embrace the rights he was given by an eternal kingdom. I love how Jesus, uh, John 1 describes this for us. John 1, 12, 13, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he, Jesus, gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of will, nor of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of who? God. We're reborn through the work of God, not through our own actions. We are saved by grace, but to all did faith in him who believed in his name, he gave the right to become what? Children. I can identify as now a child of God, which is a choice that Moses is making. As opposed to a son of Pharaoh, I am anchoring in the sonship that I have through Jesus with God. And that's the choice that you and I need to make today too. And you know, what rights do I have as a believer? Here's the one essential right that we do have, to be called a son of God. I don't have the rights to earthly comfort. I don't have the rights to financial you know, great blessing necessarily. God might choose to do that. I don't have the rights to a problem-free life. In fact, Jesus says it's going to be troublesome. But I have the right to be called a child 
of God. And isn't that awesome? Isn't that the greatest thing ever? The salvation for eternity, the earthly peace, the earthly comfort, the earthly hope. But how many of us are pushing that aside because at the end of the day, we want earthly stuff more than our eternal savior? If you're being really real. And we miss out and we have anxiety and we have worry. Why? Because our focus is on what is earthly versus what is eternal over and over in this text. The author of Hebrew exhorts us and applauds Moses for his focus. In verse 26, he was looking to the reward. Verse 26, he considered that word means esteem, the reproach of Christ greater than the treasures. Verse 27, he wasn't afraid of the anger of the king. By faith, he left Egypt, for he endured. That word means steadfast as what? As seeing, as looking to Jesus as greater, as bigger, as better, seeing him who is invisible. Go all the way back to Hebrews 11.1. Our faith is based not on what we can see, but on what we can't see. The work of God, the character of God, the trust that we have in the providence of God fuels our faith. And as we look to the invisible, God does the impossible. It's all him. It's all him. Where are you looking? Where are you seeing? Who are you looking to? Where are your eyes focused? Where is your heart focused? He chose sonship, and then he chose identity, not just with God one-on-one, but with the family. Verse 25, he chose to be mistreated with the people of God more than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Isn't that awesome? He chose to identify with biblical community. Are you? And it's getting a lot harder in our day and age. It's not cool to be a Christian anymore culturally, is it? But are you willing to identify authentically, personally, and collectively with the work of Christ and the church of Christ and the word of God? Are you willing to lay down the fleeting pleasures of sin? Well, if I really, if you know, my boss knew that I was Christian, I might lose my job. I like my 401k. I like my benefits. I like the company card. The fleeting pleasures, right? And therefore, we're silent and we choose, refuse to actually identify with Christ in the workplace. And we just go along with things when we know things aren't right. Moses saw the corrupt action of the Egyptian empire, the slavery and the sin, and he said, enough is enough. I choose Christ and the mistreatment that comes with it. And I'm okay with that because Jesus is greater and God is bigger. Where do you need to make that choice right now in your life? Workplace, school, Family, friends. Look how the author of Hebrews defines these earthly things. Fleeting pleasures of sin. One, they're fleeting, right? Two, they are pleasurable. They feel good for a moment, but they won't deliver you. They'll ultimately destroy you. And they're sinful. But then look at the next verse. You're like, well, what about the things that aren't so sinful? Like family, good grades, a good job, doing my best at work to climb the corporate ladder or get the highest military career that I, I ranked that I could. Well, he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than what? The treasures of Egypt. So in one, as, in one verse, it's talking about fleeting pleasures of sin, the, the sinful stuff we shouldn't do. And the other thing, that the treasures of Egypt. Now, treasures can be good things, right? I treasure my family. But if I elevate my family over Christ, that's an idolatrous sinful thing. Not because the family is simple, but the heart action makes it sinful. The value I'm putting on them and elevating them over Jesus, by definition, is idolatry. Good things become bad things, Paul Tripp says, when they become ruling things. So they can be fleeting pleasures of sin, like I'm going all in on hedonism and drinking and boozing and carousing, or they can be the more subtle I got to climb the corporate ladder. I got to pour all my time, all my effort, all my, I don't have time to read God's word because I got to study for this theft. I don't have time to go to church. I don't have time to give money. I don't, I don't, you know, and all of a sudden you're placing them below Jesus Christ. You're placing Jesus below these saints, whatever they are, right? Friends, look back at that thing that you wrote earlier. What is it that you greatest treasure? Praise God for it, amen, for the most part, unless it's a fleeting pleasure of sin, but maybe it's a real treasure. 
your, your spouse, your family, education, job, career, whatever. But may you know this, that what might seem as the God's biggest blessing in your life, and it probably is, could also be the biggest burden or, and or obstacle or barrier to treasuring Jesus Christ most in your life. Because you will probably struggle to lay it down when asked. Right? Because if that's your greatest value, if family is your greatest value, what if God calls you to move across the country or across the world as a missionary? Or what if God calls your grandkids to move? If money is your greatest value, comfort is your greatest value. And often the thing that you put deeper, and there's a heart level thing. It might not be money, but it might be, I say money, but it's really comfort. It's security, right? It's a heart level things. And so if my focus is on that, I'm not going to be as generous to give to God's work financially, or I'm not going to help someone in need. It can become a barrier to treasuring Christ. Moses, can you imagine the relationship he had with Pharaoh's daughter? She saved him, literally. She adopted him. Raised him for 40 years. Can you imagine the level of affection he had? And he chose to walk away from that. He walked away from his family. And Hebrews 11 says it's by faith. He walked away from the comfort of the palace. He walked away from his job. He walked away from his friend system. He walked away to follow the Lord. He laid it down when it counted the most. What is God asking you to lay down today? You have to prepare in your heart that Jesus is Lord and the Savior overall so that when God begins to stir in your heart, he wants you to plant a church over here. He wants to be a part of a core group over there that you're willing to go. I want you to leave this job and go into ministry. Wait a minute, what about the paycheck? Trust me, I, don't, I need to know. No, you don't. You need to know to depend on me. God, what do, you, what do you want me to do right here with schooling? Where do you want me to go? What do you mean you want me to go to this school? This doesn't have the best program. I want you to go to this school, and I'm not going to tell you why yet. You need to trust me. But, but my identity has been in my GPA, my resume, my family. You get, all, you get where we're going? Not necessarily bad things. But when you treasure them more than Christ, they become ruling things, idolatry things, and they are a barrier to you to growing in the Lord. Moses laid it all down. Will you? Where is God calling you to take a next step right now? Identity is not just in lip service, it's in life service. Identity is not about wearing a t-shirt. Identity is not even about just carrying a Bible, being able to quote Bible verses. The Pharisees could do a lot of that, couldn't they? It's about living the life of Jesus Christ. It's about desiring the life that uh, Jesus more than all. Because our greatest treasure isn't even just hev- isn't heaven, it's Jesus that I get to be with Jesus in heaven. My greatest treasure is wherever Jesus is and he's with me. And so if my greatest treasure is Jesus, I can, I can give the money that God calls me to give. I can go to the places that God calls me to go. I can do the things that God asks me to do because in and through it all, I will never lose Jesus. I will sell all of the money and buy that field as, as Jesus said in the parable of Matthew and be joyful about it. You're like, I can't do that. I, I want to be like Jesus. You want to really be like Jesus? Read Luke 9. Read Philippians 2. He laid it down. We want to identify with Jesus, not just in our head, but in our hearts and in our hands and in our lifestyle. He left a kingdom to come to earth. He became, he humbled himself as a servant. I couldn't live in that size house. My lifestyle expectations have grown to a certain capacity. Really? And you say you want to live like Jesus? Come on. The son of man doesn't have a place to let his head, let alone a condo or a townhouse or a house. I have to have this. Oh, really? Do you really want to be a disciple? If you, I have to have this material thing to have satisfaction. And in the end, God is exposing an idol in your heart, in your life. This treasure says, all I have to have is Jesus. He is my satisfaction. He is my dependency. I will trust him and I will look to him. So what's your next step here? And maybe it's just to ask God to expose those idols in your life that you might have a blind spot to. Matthew 6, 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What does it look like to identify with Christ? It means I'm willing to serve where needed and where God sends me, whether across the street to share the gospel or across the room in Harvest Kids Ministry. 
I'm willing to lay down my comfort for the cause of Christ. I'm willing to trust the Lord and to give to God financially off the top to his work and give generously. I'm willing to move where God asked me to move. I'm willing to stay where God asked me to stay. I'm willing to, for some of you, your next step in this might be baptism. I am publicly identifying with Jesus. It's to take a stand at work. It's to be willing to leave when God calls you to leave. If you want to identify with Christ, you have to know Christ more and more. Here's a way that you can do that. I want to encourage men in this room. God's doing a work in our men. Nate just started a, a study on Thursday mornings at 6.30 in the morning. Praise God for that. For men to learn how to study God's word. Five or six men showed up last week. You might be like, 6.30, I can't get up. Really? Are you willing to give up a little sleep to identify more with Jesus, to learn more how to learn what Jesus is? Well, I got to go to bed earlier than I before. Well, I have to, like, you see the excuses that we all start to make in our own head, why I can't do this? And ladies, there's going to be a book study, different ones of them coming this summer. There's going to be another study in the Bible of how to study God's word through the Genesis beginning in September that Anne and Stephanie are going to lead. Let's get after it, right? Let's stop making excuses and start being. So, men, I want to challenge you to be there on Thursdays at 6.30, right here at Harvest. Talk to Nate, but you got to choose now because it's, before long it's going to be too late because it's going to get too far in study. Open to all guys. Come on, let's get after it together. Let's identify with the Lord together and watch what he will do. Treasure him. See him. I love what Paul writes. Paul says this in... in Philippians. He says, but whatever gain I had, and before this, he was like, I was a Hebrew Hebrews. I got all the gold stars in Hebrew school and, and whatever. He's like, I had it all, but whatever gain I counted, I counted as lost for the sake of Christ. Indeed, count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Knowing, personal relationship. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. I can't earn it. I can't do enough good works. I can't give enough money, memorize enough Bible verses to be saved. No, no, no. But that which comes through what? Faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends, it depends, it clings on, it hangs on, on faith that I may know him and the power of the resurrection and may share in his sufferings and become like him in death that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. What would it look like? What would change for you if this was your heart cry? How would it change your finances? How would it change your calendar? How would it change where you choose to live? How would, it choose, how would it change how you have a relationship with people that you get along with naturally and those that you don't? How would it change how you post on social media? Man, I pray that it does, because it can. God changed Moses' life. He changed Paul's life. And they both saw that Jesus was greater. They had the world by the tail, both of them did. And they said they laid it down because they viewed Jesus as greater and God as bigger. Will you? And know that you're not alone. I love, again, choosing to walk with the people of God, the biblical community. Look around this room for you right now. Literally, look around. This is family, right? You're not alone, amen? Look at the person next to you and say, you're not alone. Like, you're not. Like, this is hard. Like, there is sacrifice. There is pain. There is grief. But when choosing to be mistreated with the people of God, verse 25 with the people of God. You're not alone, right? With the people of God. Man, that's a, that makes it all better, right? In a lot of ways. When I'm down, Thomas picks me up. When I'm having a bad day, Carlos prays for me. When I need wisdom, Nate offers it. You're not alone. Or at least you don't have to be. You need to choose to identify with biblical community, all in, authentic, be willing to be mistreated. And you're not even just alone in this room. Check out this picture. Ann and I had an opportunity to go to Lancaster. Our family did for the GCC East Coast Family Retreat this week. It's the family churches all over this East Coast that love you, pray for you. We prayed for you this week. These guys, these pastors pray for you regularly, literally. I just want you to know that you're not alone. What a privilege it is to walk but you have to choose to lean in. What is it choose to lean in? Maybe it's membership for you. Maybe it's joining a small group. Maybe it's choosing to tithe. Maybe it's choosing to join a ministry team, getting off the bench and getting onto the field. 
And other people need to know about this too, right? They need to know about Jesus. I was challenged this past week by the VP of GCC who was there. He challenged all of us. He like, look, we want to get after church planning because people need to know the Lord. He said, what would it take for your church to establish a church planning residency? And if it's not money, money should not be the barrier. I'm like, ha ha. He said, look, I've been enough, around enough churches and I've done personally enough church budgets to know this, that if you're looking to raise a $60,000 salary for a church planter, the GCC will pitch in $15,000 from a grant and there are at least three people within your church that would be willing to give $15,000 each a year. I'm like, have you been to our church? And I'm like, yeah, you have. There's some generous people. But my fear began to creep in. But what would that look like for our church, Right? I don't know, just planting seeds, see what God does. Because we want to get after the mission together. Be willing to suffer together. Be willing to see God's kingdom advance together. The second blessing that comes when I treasure Christ overall is this, I am empowered to endure suffering for Christ. I'm emboldened to fully identify, wholeheartedly, not passively, but fully. And then I am empowered to endure suffering for Christ. All throughout this text, Moses is describing Moses as one who chooses suffering. He chooses suffering. He got off his comfy couch, got out of his chariot, and chose the desert. After Moses murders these Egyptians who were abusing this Israel, he thinks that he's going to be like, hey, I'm here to save the day. And the, the, the next day he goes out and breaks out this fight between two Israelites, and, and he's like, hey, what are you doing? And the Israelites like, who do you think you are, right? Moses has realized he was exposed, that the Pharaoh was going to find out what he did, and he fled. Now, Exodus says he feared Pharaoh, and he fled. Hebrews says, verse 27, by faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king. So it's interesting. So maybe initially he feared, but eventually his decision to lead, based on what Hebrews says, 11 says, was an act of faith. Moses has chosen to identify with God and the people of God, and it cost him everything. It cost him his power, his prestige, his place, his people, his prominence, his safety, security, comfort, wealth, palace, his name, you name it all, and all of it, and all of it, this text in Hebrews 11 says it was pointing to Christ. Verse 26, he considered the reproach of Christ, the reproach is suffering, and considered there, get this, it is not like, oh, I'm going to debate about, it. no, the word is esteemed. He valued, he treasured the reproach, the suffering of Christ great to be greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. Mind-blowing, right? All the things he had in Egypt couldn't hold a candle to the suffering of Christ and the suffering he was about to endure for Christ. Moses' life is pointing to Jesus. Even, even in Deuteronomy, Moses says that there's going to be a greater prophet to come after me. He's talking about Jesus. The author of Hebrews says that the pleasures of this world are fleeting and ultimately unfulfilling while joy is found in and through Jesus and, and his grace is unending. My question is, do you really believe that Jesus is greater when he leads you into a desert season? He's leading Moses into a desert season. Moses' life is broken up into three 40-year chunks. 40 years in Egypt, 40 years in the Midian Desert, and 40 years to bring out the people of Egypt and then wander back towards the promised land. Moses was heading into a desert season of 40 years. Not 40 minutes, 40 days. And maybe you're in a minute into your desert season. Maybe you're four days in, four weeks, four years, 40 years. Do you really believe that Jesus is still greater? Can you trust him in that? Can you allow the presence of God to power you, empower you to rejoice and walk through that? It's not denying or diminishing the pain or the reality of the suffering. It's elevating our Savior in the middle of the suffering. And Moses' life is teaching us that God is with us. Imagine Moses' emotions as he walks into the desert, as he flees, he's scared, he's grieving. He probably feels some guilt about what he did, pain, uncertainty about the future. He had no plans, no resources except what was on his back. He could not go back. He was a wanted man. Pharaoh wanted him dead. And he wandered into a wilderness. All he had was God. And in that moment, he discovered that all he needed was God. 
over the next 40 years. How did Moses endure? Verse 26, he looked to the reward. He saw Christ's reproach to be greater for he was looking to the reward. The reward there is Christ. It's his future eternity with Christ. He looked to that. So friends, you want to know how to endure your desert season? And I don't know what your desert season is. It might be family related. It might be job related. It might be health related. I just, I, I just want you to know that God sees you in it. He's with you in it. And he loves you in it. He will see you through it. He's enough. And he's greater than it. And he's at work in you. So are you looking to what lasts right here? That's a key to enduring and embracing this season empowered by God's strength to endure. Endurance isn't, I just suck it up. It's God's grace and God's strength empowers me. It's a byproduct of my faith. It's a fruit of my faith. Moses was looking to the reward. He was looking to what lasts. Are you looking to what lasts? And secondly, how, do I, how am I empowered? Well, verse 27, he, did not, he wasn't afraid of the anger of the king for he endured as, what, as seeing him who is invisible. So am I looking to what lasts? And secondly, am I seeing the one who truly satisfies? Am I seeking the one who truly satisfies and saves? That at the end of the day, here's what happens in the desert season. And God uses the desert seasons out of his love. Sometimes he allows us to go through them. Sometimes he ordains us to go through them. He allows these seasons to refine us, to prune us, to expose us, to change our perspective, to realize the reality that we need to be looking to what is eternal opposed to what's on earth. Because when we go to that desert, it exposes our idols. It exposes what we treasure. And we go, God, how could you take X away from me? And fill in your X. My child, my baby, my future, my job, my joy, my athletic career through an injury, my whatever it is. How could you, and we're looking to what? Where's our focus? It's on our stuff. But praise God through his grace, his focus is on us. Because he wants in this season to take our eyes off our stuff and onto our savior. And he allows that process to happen through a desert. God in his sanctification, in his kitchen, if you would, of sanctification to make us more like Jesus, he doesn't use a microwave. He uses a crock pot. Slow and steady, right? We have to let God cook. You've heard that colloquialism, right? Gotta let him cook. Let him work. He loves you and he's refining and he's looking because what is happening right here is that Moses wasn't ready. Moses had to learn to be a shepherd in order to be a leader. He had to learn how to be a shepherd. And where did God send him to do that? To the desert to be a literal shepherd. God had to get the Egypt out of Moses before Moses could get the Israelites out of Egypt. God had to detox Moses before he could use Moses as his deliverer and deploy him. Some some of us, God has to detox us before deploying us. God is at work mightily and greatly. God had a plan. 40 years. And if you know the story in Exodus 3, Moses is caught off guard when God shows up and says, you want to use me? 40 years previous, he's like, I'm your guy. And 40 years in the desert broke him. And then he was ready. Proper theology of suffering realizes that our suffering on earth always bends the knees to God's eternal sovereignty. God is at work in your suffering right now. He will empower you through it. But the question is, where's your focus? Are you looking to what lasts? Are you seeing who truly satisfies? Because your, your family can't ultimately satisfy you. Your finances, your job, your, your school, your friends, they can't ultimately satisfy you. Only Jesus can satisfy you. Are you looking to comfort? Or are you looking to Christ right now? Are you looking to convenience? Or are you looking to Christ? Are you looking to affluence? Or are you looking to Christ? Are you looking for earthly success? Or are you looking to your eternal savior? Are you looking for the easy way or God's way? You looking to build your kingdom or God's? Anyone that has been used by the Lord in big or small ways has been through at least one desert season. 
And in those moments, it feels like you're gonna die. It feels like you might wanna give up. It feels like you're not gonna make it through. And that's where God has you and he wants you. Because in those moments, he wants you to see the greatness of who he is. Because in the desert, we learn more about our eternal deliverer, God, than we do in other seasons in our life, most likely. When you value Christ properly and supremely, we are willing to suffer for Jesus joyfully and willingly. You'll see a picture here of, of, of a Stanley Cup. In June, it's a, it's a championship that is crowned in the NHL. Yeah, go Caps. Few and far between, we won one finally. Um, a few years ago, anyway. Um, but what's really cool is that hockey players are amazing. Because you watch these playoffs and what happens? They're trying to win the championship and they get hit with sticks and 100-mile pucks in their faces. They break teeth. But guess what? They come back out the next shift, right? Because they're what? They're hockey players. They break bones, and they, don't, they miss maybe a game, maybe because they come back. Why? Because their goal is to have their name etched on this cup. Because if you win the championship, your name literally gets etched on this cup for all of eternity. And they're like, you're immortalized on this cup. No one and nothing could ever take this away from you. I am a champion. So I'm willing to block shots and lay down literally on on the ice. I'm sliding behind a guy that is shooting a puck 100 miles an hour and might hit me in my face. And I'm willing. Why? Because the end is worth it to me. The goal of having my name etched on this cup for all of eternity and having a toothless smiling grin as I lift up this cup is worth it. Friends, can I tell you that if you've put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, that today your name is forever etched and engraved in the Lamb's Book of Life for all of eternity? Praise God, amen. And shouldn't that give us a joyful confidence to walk through whatever seasons and situations of life come our way? With faith, with endurance, with hope. Because whatever season you're walking in right now, with your walking through a deep season of grief, friend, I want you to know that your name is engraved in heaven. Isn't that awesome? If you're struggling with your future and you don't know what to do, your name is engraved in heaven. And nothing and no one can ever take that away from you. And if that is our greatest reward, we have nothing to fear because we get to experience it for all of eternity. So may that be what we look to. May that be what we see. And may that be drive us to live with faith, to be willing to walk away from earthly comforts or treasures when God asks us to make a choice to choose to identify with him, not half-heartedly, not quarterly, but fully. And to choose to be willing to suffer. Not like, oh, they're suffering, let me run head on to it. No, no, that's not what we're talking about. But to allow yourself, to allow God to do the work in you, just like he did Moses, to let God cook in his process of sanctification. Because as we look to the reality that we can have our names engraved in eternity, we can rest in the reality that Christ is greater, that he's good enough. And we can live out each and every day with faith, whatever God asks us to do. Would you close your head and bow your eyes, close your eyes and bow your heads? Who is Jesus to you? And what would it look like for him to be your greatest treasure? what would change? A lot changed in Paul's life. A lot changed in Moses' life. What would change in your life? And will you make that choice today? To allow the hope of Christ to fuel you in the hard situations of life. To allow God's grace to strengthen you to endure. To keep looking. What in your life do you need to take your eyes off of so that you can look to Christ right now as your reward? Yes, Christ is invisible, but his presence is palpable. His power is unstoppable. And his greatness is immeasurable. And he's offering for you right now greatest reward. 
himself. Will you receive it by faith? And then take a next step in whatever way God is calling you to, to walk that out on a day-to-day basis. Father, we just thank you for who you are. We just ask that you would be magnified in our life and exalted and lifted up, that we would see you as bigger, that we would view your treasure as greater, that we would long for you, that we would be comforted by you and embrace you and have courage as we live that out on a daily basis. God, help us to be willing in faith to lay down the treasures of the world or the sinful fleeting pleasures to embrace the eternal truths and beauty of who you are. Give us the strength to make the changes and the choices needed as we saw in the life of Moses. It's not in our own strength that it's done, it's through faith in, in you and by your grace. Help us to choose you joyfully and willingly and follow you each and every day. In your name we pray, amen.